Great nations don't ignore their most painful moments. They don't ignore those moments in the past. They embrace them. Great nations don't walk away. We come to terms with the mistakes we made. And in remembering those moments, we begin to heal and grow stronger. The truth is, it's not simply not enough just to commemorate Juneteenth. After all, the emancipation of enslaved black Americans didn't mark the end of America's work to deliver on the promise of equality. It only marked the beginning. To honor the true meaning of Juneteenth, we have to continue toward that promise because we've not gotten there yet. The Vice President and I and our entire administration and all of you in this room are committed to doing just that. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That was an excerpt from President Biden's comments at the press conference last year announcing the establishment of Juneteenth as a federal holiday. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, June 21st. I hope you all had the chance to take a moment to reflect on the end of slavery and its continued legacy in American society as we observed Juneteenth yesterday. After more years of organizing than it should have taken, to have a federal holiday commemorating emancipation is a powerful thing, and we all need to keep reminding ourselves how much more work is still needed. To be reminded every year of the legacy of slavery and the anniversary of the announcement of General Order Number 3 proclaiming freedom for enslaved peoples in Texas a full two and a half years after Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation is a critical moment for us to reckon with the legacy of slavery and systemic racism in our society and also acknowledge how slow our society is to change. From the two and a half years for emancipation to be fully established to the centuries of work needed to reckon with the legacy of slavery, this work is urgent and yet moves far too slowly. One year after President Biden made Juneteenth a federal holiday, 26 states, actually a mix of traditionally Democratic and Republican states, have still not authorized the funding that would allow for state employees to take the day off. And just a month after the murder of 10 black people in Buffalo and yet another mass shooting, one of the deadliest racist massacres in recent U.S. history, we're reminded how much work we still face and how polarized and radicalized our country is becoming. Shifting from Juneteenth to other developments in democracy, today the deliberately cross-partisan group Issue One is kicking off its Faces of Democracy campaign, convening a bipartisan group of election officials to meet with members of Congress and the White House. They're pushing with a set of messages for a lot of changes that many have been asking for for a long time, a significant and regular investment in election infrastructure, new funding to uh, specifically for threat monitoring, more federal protections against threats and intimidation of election workers, more privacy protections, and a bipartisan update to the Electoral Count Act. Whether it's secured is a very, very uncertain question, but the need for these investments is clear, given reports about attempts to recruit thousands of partisan election watchers and other poll intimidation tactics, and approval by the Texas Republican Convention on Saturday of a measure declaring that President Joe Biden was not legitimately elected, despite all the testimony coming out in the January 6th hearings and so much else. And in primaries across the country, over 100 adherents to the big lie have already won their primaries and will be headed to general elections, legislative and election administration roles, including an upset this weekend in Indiana, 
where Secretary of State Holly Sullivan lost the GOP nomination at the state Republican convention to Diego Morales. Morales is a former aide to then-Governor Pence, who's called the 2020 election a scam, and who's actually once fired and then again once resigned from the Indiana Secretary of State's office after repeated performance issues. So these questions of the big lie and how they play out in election administration are going to be plaguing us across the country and are really urgent. Last week, we saw primaries in Maine, Nevada, North Dakota, and South Carolina. Um, I'd say one particularly concerning set of results is coming out of Nevada, which echoes the concerns I was just talking about. Election denier and former state rep Jim Marchant won the Republican primary for Secretary of State. He said he wouldn't have certified the 2020 election and would consider sending alternate electors in 2024. Also in Nevada, Adam Laxalt secured the GOP nomination to face Senator Catherine Cortez Masto in November. Laxalt actually led the effort, including in the courts, to undermine the two 2020 elections in Nevada. So this is continuing all over. Now, today we're seeing primaries in Alabama, Georgia, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. The big thing to look for for the primaries this week is really mostly about the biggest impacts of Republicans picking the next members of Congress in a handful of open, deep red congressional seats, biggest of which is probably the Senate a seat in Alabama. Trump had backed Mo Brooks. Then Mo Brooks wasn't doing well. Trump rescinded his nomination. Katie Britt, who's uh, Richard Shelby's former chief of staff, the retiring senator in Alabama, is now the front runner. And actually, Trump has switched his endorsement over to Katie Britt, which unusually makes him actually allies with Mitch McConnell in the Alabama Senate race. You're also seeing selections in several safe House districts in Georgia and Alabama. And in Virginia, Republicans are picking who they're going to put forward to go after two vulnerable House seats in Virginia. So ongoing dynamics. There's also other, you know, there's some critical Democratic races as well. The mayor of D.C. is facing a very intense uh, set of primaries in D.C. and a very secure general election. So whoever wins uh, today is likely to be the next mayor of D.C. But the big impact is going to be kind of the dynamics within the Republican Party and who are we going to be seeing in these different races in November. Next week, we're looking at primaries in Colorado, Illinois, runoff in Mississippi, New York for both the Senate and governor, Oklahoma, Utah. So the primaries continue. We've got a couple more uh, big ones over the next few weeks. Then we'll get a brief pause before the fall primaries. Last thing I want to talk about today is some of the kind of shifts again around midterm messaging. I mentioned the Texas Republican Convention, which has now uh, took place over the weekend. They acted on a bunch of resolutions, really pushing the Texas Republican Party even more explicitly and formally to the right. In addition to declaring Biden's election illegitimate, they've rebuked their own Senator Cornyn for taking part in bipartisan gun talks. They voted a platform that declares homosexuality an abnormal lifestyle choice, pulling language back from the 80s into their platform. And they're calling for Texas school children to learn about the humanity of the pre-born child. And that dynamic, that last piece in particular, also is resonating in a very different way on the Democratic side, where all of the polls coming out from Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee are all testing how are voters feeling about the likely overturn of Roe v. Wade. So both sides are gearing up for this, and they're really a question of can Democrats, you know, and it's, I hate to say it, but they're frankly saying, can we capitalize on the Supreme Court's likely reversal of Roe v. Wade? They're asking whether this issue, which has for years 
mobilize right-wing voters. If actually you reverse and overturn the right to an abortion, will it mobilize progressives who have long said, well, it's safe, so therefore I can vote on other things. But the real question remains as they talk about guns, as they talk about abortion, as they talk about LGBT equality, even as they talk about the 2020 elections, the broader question that both Republicans and Democrats have been acknowledging and talking about in various convenings over the last week is, will any of those issues be enough to change the underlying dynamics of a campaign that is being increasingly defined by the economy. As gas prices are pushing up over $5 a gallon, inflation ticking up, cryptocurrency continuing to collapse and others, whether anything else will happen or anything else will break through to define the midterms seems increasingly unlikely, but everyone's expecting the Roe v. Wade decision um, in the next few weeks. It could even be today where the court is releasing a set of its first uh, summer decisions, but in the next few weeks, and we'll see how that goes over the next coming month and beyond. But that's all for this week's review of developments in American democracy. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.